I'd like to take a moment to pray for Pittsburgh. Um, Most of you guys know um, what happened yesterday. It was a horrible shooting that took place inside of a synagogue there. And um, as uh, last time I checked, there were 11 reported fatalities. And it was a completely, uh, uh, you know, uh, racially motivated thing. And uh, just a, a terrible, terrible situation. So I want to take a moment to pray for, for the Jewish community and uh, across the country. There's a lot of fear right now. There's been a lot of anti-Semitic attacks. And so there's naturally a lot of fear. Uh, and I want to pray for, for protection for them and for comfort. Can you guys join me in that? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are a God of comfort. Holy Spirit, we, we thank you. That's one of your main jobs. And so we ask you this morning, would you comfort those who are mourning? Lord, we stand alongside our, our friends and our neighbors. And we say, Lord, come. Lord Jesus, come. We pray that you would comfort those who have lost loved ones. Lord, we pray that you would ease the fears. Lord, we pray that you would provide, you would protect these dear ones. Lord, we pray that there would be healing for those who are still wounded. Lord, we pray for the wounded hearts. Lord, we just run out of words and say, I don't even know. It's just so terrible. But you have a way of still bringing light, and so we ask you to bring light, Lord Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Well, we're starting a, a, a series this month, and, and uh, we're, we're going to talk about kingdom parables. The kingdom of God was uh, the most, it was Jesus' favorite topic. You might think his favorite topic was talking about sin and salvation or sanctification, but it was none of those things. It wasn't even about building the church or anything like that. Jesus' favorite topic was the kingdom of God, and his favorite way to talk about it, uh, he, would, he would sometimes call it the kingdom of God or sometimes the kingdom of heaven. It's the same thing. But even when he said kingdom of heaven, it wasn't like the way that we generally think about it was when you die, you go to heaven. He, he, was, he was using it in a different way, like talking about the kingdom of heaven coming to earth. And so he would say the kingdom of heaven is at hand, like it's here, um, and, uh, and he would say all of these, uh, these, he'd make all these different assertions about the kingdom. For uh, example, he would say stuff like, um, his, you know, that, that it's good news. He'd proclaim the good news of the kingdom. He would say, my kingdom is not of this world. He would say things like, the kingdom of God belongs to those who are poor in spirit. Or even, the kingdom belongs to children. Or, seek first the kingdom. So he'd make lots of different kinds of assertions, and it was a very confusing thing for the people he ministered to, because he was, he was ministering in, the, in, in Israel, and he, of course, uh, was, was Jewish, so he's ministering to the Israelite people, and uh, for, for most of those listeners, they had always perceived the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Israel as the same thing. And so it was difficult for him to, to uh, uh, explain what this was when you, when you come in with, with one paradigm that's so very different. Um, so Jesus, being a good teacher, uh, he decided, he, well, I, he, he ended up using lots of stories. Stories are, are wonderful tools. I love stories. Most of you guys do too. I love what uh, um, author Matt Michelotto says He's, uh, he, uh, he was at a, a workshop that I attended years ago, and he, he made this statement. Essays, you could say the same thing about like nonfiction teaching, are, are like battering rams. 
But stories are like Trojan horses. In other words, stories have a way of smuggling truth to a heart that, that traditional teaching, or whether it be nonfiction or just straightforward stuff, uh, doesn't necessarily have. So Jesus spoke oftentimes using stories and using a very specific kind of story called a parable. And so that's what I want to talk about uh, for uh, the next few weeks here, about the parables, particularly the parables when he's talking about the kingdom of God, his favorite topic. So here's a definition for you. What is a parable? It's a true-to-life story which, in revealing a main point of truth, challenges the hearer to a personal response. So it's not just a cute story to keep the people entertained. It's not just an illustration to explain a teaching. Rather, it's a story meant to challenge a person or a crowd, okay? There's an aspect of challenge in here. It's not an allegory. This is where many people get confused when they're trying to understand what Jesus is talking about. It's not an allegory. For example, if you read the book Pilgrim's Progress, how many of you guys have ever read it or read a version of Pilgrim's Progress? Okay, one of the most uh, uh, read books of all time. It's an allegory. Everything means, everything in this world has a parallel to the real world, right? There's lots of symbolism. Um, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is an allegory, mostly, where, you know, Aslan represents Jesus. Spoiler alert. Um, the, the, the White Witch is the devil. Like all the, you've got all these things, right, that are going on. You're like, oh, that's just like in our world. So people will try to do that the same way with the parable. And you actually can't because the parable has a, 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 a different emphasis. There is a point of truth, and it's meant to challenge the hearer to a response. So it's, it's a different kind of thing, and we'll, we'll unpack this a little bit. So um, Jesus uh, told parables in order to reveal uh, that main point of truth to those who are listening. And here's, a, here's a longer explanation. I like this. Jesus never handed out truth as if it were on a plate. For the truth about God and men uh, uh, cannot be learned directly as if it were a series of more facts which involves no personal commitment. The parables are language events which challenge a personal response. They constitute disclosure situations in which the listener becomes aware of his relationship with God through identifying himself with the people in the parable. In this sense, the parabolic method is integral to Jesus' entire mission. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, well, Jesus' mission is to call people into the kingdom and to challenge their hearts and to give them the invitation. The parable was the primary way he used to do this, or at least one of the primary ways. So the parable was essential to what he was doing. So I think it's important for us to understand sort of how they work because it's easy to, to misread them. And, and there's a lot of truth packed in these, and I, I think they still challenge us today. That's why we're going to take time to do this. Jesus used this, this phrase, he who has ears, let him hear. Do you have ears? Are you willing to listen? Are you willing to be honest with yourself? Then hear. I think that's, that was the idea. Are you, are you willing to go there? Parables were both a means to reveal truth and a measure of one's willingness to respond to it. Their effectiveness was directly related to the spiritual condition of the hearer. Did you get that? Their effectiveness was directly related to the spiritual condition of the one who's hearing. Jesus made this statement about parables. He says, this is why I speak to people in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. In other words, Tim Mackey, Bible teacher, 
says, people are terrible listeners. <laughs> he said about this passage, this is what Jesus says. People are really bad listeners. And uh, they don't often want to hear. And so that's, that's why Jesus is speaking in parables. If a person didn't want to hear the truth, if he wasn't ready to receive it, he wouldn't have to. He would, in a sense, be dismissing the story. But if he's willing to open up his ears and let himself be challenged, then the story would hit home. So the condition of a heart generally was going to be, that was going to be the access point. Now, maybe you didn't have any sort of points of reference, so you would think, well, he's just telling a story and I don't understand. That happened as well. But generally, it was the condition of the heart that would determine how a person responded. Are you with me still? Okay. I know I'm kind of taking you to Bible school this morning, but. So how do you interpret these things? Well, people have like long 12-step ways of interpreting parables, and, and uh, I'm, I'm referring mostly to the story kind of parables. Not, sometimes it will say a parable, but it's sort of a simile or a metaphor. Um, and, but for the ones that are sort of story-based, um, here's, it just, this is just a, um, a over, probably oversimplified four steps here, but first, reconstruct the setting if possible. When you run into a parable, figure out what's actually going on in that passage. Uh, who's there? Who is Jesus talking to? Is he responding to a situation? Or is he responding to a question? How tense is it in the room? And why? All of these kinds of things. Figure out what's going on because generally the parable has something to do with directly what's happening. Okay? Second, find out what is being compared. Parable is a point of comparison. It literally means to cast alongside. So you're showing one thing and you're showing another. You're making a point of comparison. And, uh, and that is where you're going to find the meaning of it. So figure out what's being compared. The nice thing for us is that for most of the kingdom parables, he actually says the kingdom of God is like, boom. So now we know what we're comparing right away. Okay? Third, discern the relevant details. And this is, this is where... I think, again, most of us can, can get confused by what's happening because uh, uh, there are a lot of details that aren't actually relevant to the main point. And if a detail isn't relevant to the main point, then don't worry about it. Because here's, here, I think we're sort of used to, we're so used to the, uh, uh, the allegory thing that we think uh, everything has to mean something. But in the parable, not everything has to mean something. In the parable, he might tell a story, a really messy story. In fact, you might even have a person that's acting really immorally, but there's a lesson that they teach in it. So that's just what Jesus is doing. Not all of his stories are like, you know, pure flicks entertainment. Some of his stories are like, here's a real messy story. I'm not saying he's right, but here's what happened down the way. And so that is the point of the story. So don't necessarily think that just because there's a parable about somebody that does a thing, that you're supposed to do all of those things. It's all about the setup. All of those details can be set up for one particular thing that's going to happen. Are you with me? Okay? All right. I'm going to keep asking that because that was my go-to back in the day. Thank you. Finally, find the main point. Okay? And that'll be, again, fairly easy for us to be able to decipher because he's telling us what he's comparing. So that is going to be our method. So let's, let's just try this out on a parable that all of us know. Um, or, or many of us know, not all of us, but the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now today, they have like Good Samaritan laws, which means you're supposed to help someone who's in need. Um, but that wasn't really the point of the Good Samaritan. Um, but let's, let's tell the story real quick, okay? Here's the story in a nutshell. You have a traveler. He's going from one city to another. 
and he's robbed and beaten, and they steal all of his stuff and they leave him for dead. Well, he doesn't die. And he hears some footsteps and he looks up and he sees a priest. And he's hoping the priest will help him, but the priest actually doesn't. He just walks on by. And then he sees someone else, a Levite. Surely the Levite will help, but no, a Levite just walks on by. And then he sees a third person, a Samaritan. And the Samaritan stops, cleans him up, takes him to the doctor, pays his hospital bill, bakes him a casserole, and invites him over for Monday Night Football. There it is. The last story. Last bit, maybe a little bit. I'm sure he would have. Okay, so there's the story, right? So let's walk through this, reconstruct the setting. What's happening when he tells this story? The first thing is this. It's a teacher of the law, a teacher of the Torah, asks a question, okay? Now this, this isn't like a lawyer like we think of one today. That's what they were called, but really, this is, this is like a Bible teacher, okay? This is almost like a pastor coming to him and saying, Jesus, what does a person have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus looks at him and says, well, you know the Torah, you tell me. He says, well, I think you're supposed to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And it says somewhere else, love your neighbor as yourself. So those two things. He probably also heard Jesus say that. And Jesus says, yeah, so go ahead. And he says, well, to love your neighbor as yourself so who, who's my neighbor? And Jesus smiles and says, let me tell you a story. So what is the guy really asking? If he's saying, love your neighbor as yourself, and so he goes, okay, so who's my neighbor? Is he not really asking, who do I have to love? So this story, now we have the setting. This story is given in response to someone who wanted to know who he had to love. So Jesus goes and he tells a story. Uh, so what's being compared? Well, we have several different individuals being compared, and we want to find out who the neighbor is. So that's our point of comparison. Who's the neighbor? Is it the priest? Is it the Levite? Is it the Samaritan? And of course, we know who's going to win that uh, argument. Um, third, discern the relevant details. Okay? All the details, you're like, where is he going? What city is he going? I don't think that matters at all in this situation. Was he hit over the head or in the stomach? doesn't matter. Did they threaten him? Did they take his shoes or did they leave him? It doesn't matter. The whole point of this, we're going to let those details go aside, okay? And we don't have to feel the need to allegorize. Because that's sort of a thing. It's like, well, we've got to be extra spiritual. So we have to come up. Well, no, no, don't, you don't need to do that. It's, it's spiritual enough on its own. So the important point is about who's the neighbor. So how do we find this out then? What are the relevant details? Well, this is sometimes we have to do a little bit of work here, and, and just a really little, honestly, nowadays, because research is so easy to do. So if you come across something in the Bible, like the word Samaritan, you think, what does that mean? Well, it's really simple. You can go to, like, you know, BibleStudyTools.com or Blue Letter Bible or whatever, and just type in, what is a Samaritan? And it'll tell you. A Samaritan, we think, oh, that must just be a, a good person. No, that's not what a Samaritan is. Samaritan, here's the truth. A Samaritan is uh, uh, a, a person who would have been uh, considered an enemy of a Jewish person. This is, here's, here's the history here. Uh, uh, Samaritans were Jews 700 years earlier. But when the Assyrian army came and they, they conquered the, the northern kingdom of Israel, so 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel were conquered and scattered and intermixed with the Assyrians. 
those people uh, became the, the Samaritans. And they settled right near the Jews. So here, 700 years later, you have this group that isn't quite Jewish, but kind of. And you have this group that is Jewish. And these guys, the Samaritans, don't quite worship the way they do. And so it's this, it, it is, you know what we have here? We have serious racial tension. Serious racial tension. These guys do not like each other. They hate each other. And so Jesus then puts that guy who this person he's talking to, this teacher of the law, this, this guy, he would have despised. And, and Jesus makes that person, the Samaritan, the hero of the story. So here's the tension, right? So the priest comes, surely he's going to do something, right? Nope, he doesn't. The Levite, that should be a good person. He's supposed to take care of Nope. The Samaritan, the person he would not expect, the person who should have been the villain, ends up being the neighbor. What's the point of the story? The point of the story is this. You have to love everybody. You don't get a hall pass for not loving your enemy. In fact, in the kingdom of God, loving your enemy is going to be kind of a big deal, so you better get used to it. You see? So, that's what happens. That's how to interpret a parable. So, all of this is just set up. We're going to do kingdom parables as we go through, but I, I chose a short one uh, for this morning because I knew it would take time to do some setup. So, we're going to tell this one. Matthew 13, 45. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. <laughs> he finds a treasure, he covers it up, and then enjoy. He goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Okay? There's the story. Earlier this year, I had the distinct pleasure of working with our kids on Wednesday nights. We were telling parables and we were filming them. And uh, so I would like to let you see a parable that we filmed uh, in one evening and threw together. I can't vouch for the production value, but our actors are pretty phenomenal. So I give you the treasure in the playgrounds. The treasure in the playground, a new old parable from Christ Center Kids. Once upon a time, there were three siblings, April, May, and Julio. One day, they were playing at the playground, making castles out of wood chips. When Julio said, look what I found, they pulled it out. It didn't look like much on the outside, but when they opened it, they almost fainted. It was a treasure. Gold, shouted April. Silver, shouted May. Beef jerky, shouted Julio. It belongs to whoever owns the playground, and the playground is for sale. We need to take these coins to an expert and see how much they're worth. So they hid the treasure again, but took a few coins to show the coin expert. What you got there? he asked. An old silver coin, they said. How much is it worth? The expert's jaw fell open and he cried out, Great bowls of cornflakes! This is worth half a million dollars! What about this gold one? asked April. The expert's jaw fell open again and said, Great bowls of Captain Crunch! This one's worth two million dollars! And what about this Jerky, said Julio. About a dollar fifty, the man answered. Where did you get these coins, the man asked, but their lips were sealed. After they put everything back in the treasure box, 
April pointed at a sign. If we buy this playground, we'll get the treasure for free. But how? We don't got that kind of money, May said. We will if we have a yard sale, he answered. So the three siblings went home and sold everything that they could. They sold their favorite clothes. They sold their favorite Star Wars toys. They even sold their favorite parents. Well, they tried anyway. And after they sold all their stuff, they took that money and bought the whole playground. They didn't care that their favorite stuff was gone because the treasure was worth way, way more than any old video game. The kingdom of heaven is just like that treasure. It's more valuable than anything we could ever want. And the story of the treasure in the playground. The end. <laughs> Pretty hard-hitting stuff. So there we have it. The kingdom of heaven. Like people who found a thing and hit it and then discovered it had a lot of worth and then sold all they had to get it. So we're going to now walk through what we just looked at on how to interpret a parable, okay? The first is to reconstruct the setting. Well, in, in this case, the setting is, uh, is as follows. Jesus was, he was speaking to a huge crowd of people. He was standing in a boat talking to people like they were in an amphitheater. Um, they were all up on land. It's pretty cool. And uh, and he's telling them kingdom parables. Well, they're confused by it all. His, his disciples are. So the disciples come to him and say, can you, can you help us understand? So he pulls the disciples aside, and he explains a parable, and then he explains a few more talking about the kingdom. So Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God to his disciples. He's trying to, to give them more understanding, okay? So there is, there is the setting, and right after he says this one, um, this also helps because sometimes he'll tell another parable to reinforce the point. So here he, he tells us another one right after this. I'll just read it. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. This is like an American picker guy, you know, one of these guys like, goes along, like, looking at all these antiques, and he goes in someone's, someone's attic, and he finds this pearl, and he's like, oh my goodness, this is like worth so much money. He sells everything he had so he can get this one pearl, because now he has something greater. So, so because of that second one, it helps us to see very clearly what, what uh, Jesus is getting at, okay? So that's the setting. Uh, what's being compared? Um, well, obviously, we have the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is being compared to something that is both hidden and priceless. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that is hidden, okay, and it turns out to have great worth. Third, relevant and irrelevant details. So this is an easy one to get hung up on. Uh, first of all, who owned the field? We have no idea who owned the field. I don't know. Does it matter? No. It's not part of the story. Now, how about this? Here's a, here's a detail. Was this even ethical? Like, are you wondering that? Like, wait a minute, whoa. Like, a guy finds, he finds the old treasure in someone's field. He doesn't go tell the guy. He doesn't tell the owner of the field, right? I'm like, I'm even wondering, would this hold up in court? Like, I, I don't even know, right? 
So, yeah, like, is Jesus encouraging someone to go, like, trespass on someone's property and, like, you know, to, like, search for metal detectives or something? Like, no. No. Is it ethical? I don't know. Probably not. That's not the point of the story. Okay? That's not the point. He, well, here's what he's saying. The kingdom of God has a ton of value. That's the main point. It is so valuable. It's hidden. But when you find it, you discover it's more valuable than anything else. And so even if you had some guy who's going trespassing on other people's property illegally, and he found this treasure, here's what he would do. <laughs> he would sell all because it was worth that much. So that's Jesus' point. Are you with me still? Okay. So what do we do uh, with this? What, what, uh, um, what, what's, what, what is our takeaway? Uh, well, here's what the Apostle Paul says. The Apostle Paul agrees very much with this parable. In fact, he's lived it. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Here's what he's saying. Now, that rubbish is actually a very strong word. It's a, a very strong word. I don't know that we'd be able to give a direct translation on a Sunday morning. He's saying this is disgusting right? This, everything I had was real. I used to really think it was amazing and I lost all of it. And guess what? Because he really did too. He lost his, his status. He, he, he certainly would have lost his possessions as they all were seeking to, to kill him. He, he, he lost his friends. He lost his circle. He lost his credentials, everything he had when he, when he uh, embraced Christ. So he can say, listen, I lost everything. But all of that compared to Jesus is rubbish. It's filth. It's the stuff you flush down the toilet compared to how great Jesus is. You see, he's just like that guy who sold everything he had in order to gain the treasure, which was the kingdom of God and his king, Jesus Christ. That's what Paul seems to be saying. So the kingdom then is better than anything you own. The kingdom is more costly than all the things that you believe. Jesus is better than anyone you know. And even if you lose all of those things and you only have Jesus, you still win. In other words, the kingdom of God is preeminent. It's preeminent. Demands our full allegiance. I I alluded to this earlier. This would have been a difficult thing for someone in this day to hear, right? Because... Most of his audience growing up had, had sort of equated the kingdom of God with the kingdom of Israel. So that would have been a difficult thing to know that it was actually bigger than that. Because my kingdom is not of this world. Like, we're going to throw the doors open to anyone who wants to be in the kingdom of God and embrace the king. That would have been a difficult thing. Because sometimes patriotism can get in the way of kingdom stuff. It also happened with Rome. Okay, here's how it happened with Rome. People worshipped Caesar. The cult of Caesar was like the biggest thing going. That was the biggest competing religion in the Roman Empire. It, was, it dominated, right? This is why when a, when a believer said the words, Jesus is Lord, he was saying something very politically subversive. What he was saying is Caesar isn't Lord. You get that? He's saying my allegiance is to a different kingdom and it ain't Rome. I might be a Roman, and I, I, I might even really like Rome, and I, I could promote Rome and the good things that are happening, and that's great. But that's not ultimately where my allegiance lies. 
So this was a difficult and very controversial message. We've lost the controversy. We need to get the, make the Bible controversial. Here's what it is. This was a big deal. This is like, wait a second. You're saying this, this is better and, and, and higher up? And, and yes, your allegiance to the kingdom of God is supposed to supersede all of your other allegiances. Now this has ramifications here. Paul said this to Philippians, who were the most patriotic people of, of the empire who didn't live in Rome. They lived in a, in a Jewish col- or a Roman colony. He says, our citizenship, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship, remember Roman citizenship was so, so valuable in the ancient world. And he says, I know you're proud of your Roman citizenship, but remember, our citizenship is not ultimately in Rome, it's ultimately in the kingdom of heaven. This is where we begin. This is, this is where our source of value is supposed to flow. This is where our ethics are supposed to f- flow from. This is the way how we treat one another is supposed to flow from. All of it is supposed to sit under the banner of Jesus Christ. See, here I think is the way we see things sometimes. If we, if we were to take the kingdom of Jason, that's me, hi. We're going to take... Things that are in the mix, things that I might, you know, have some identity in or even just things that I like, things that, you know, like if you, you, each of us have this, if you go to your Facebook feed and say, what are the things that they've clicked like on? Like what would come up, right? So uh, you might see a lot of this stuff, right? In no particular order, by the way. I'm a dad. There you go. Good. I'm a writer. Okay. I'm a husband. Again, in no, no particular order. Random order here. Um, I'm an American, okay, yeah, uh, I, I'm into justice, I'm a pastor, I'm of Scottish descent, which means I was insufferable in the 90s when Braveheart came out, <laughs> I, I'm a, te- <laughs> it's true, true story, I'm a teacher, that's what I'm doing right now, okay, all these things, I'm a coffee drinker, see, we don't even get to things that aren't as important, or is it? This is one of the reasons the Lord called our family to the Northwest. I'm, I'm sure of it. I'm a coffee drinker. I appreciate good coffee. And when I go to, back home to Texas, I, I miss out on that. Let me tell you. Um, I'm a Cowboys fan, which means I'm always depressed this kind of time of year. I, <laughs> I, I like Star Trek. I don't know why I even put this one in there. I don't like it that much. But growing up, I loved watching Star Trek The Next Generation. I love Captain Picard. He's fantastic. Um, I like indie folk music, okay? All of these things. Like, I like all of it, and I identify some, and some of it I find some identity in. So here's, I think most of you are like this. You've got your list. You've got some things aren't that important. Some things are really important. You've got, you know, you know the, the place you grew up. You, you've got things that you really believe, or political affiliations, or well, all these different things, right? And so we all have this big hodgepodge, this big mix and when someone comes and, and presents the gospel of Jesus, I think here's the way it feels sometimes, and here's the way I think we communicate it sometimes. Hey, how about, how about adding Jesus to your mix? I saw that you like Ariana Grande. You think you might like Jesus too? See that you're like, <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Like, we'll just throw him in the mix. Yeah. I tend to think we are so, our Western culture is so consumeristic, right? Like we like, oh, we like that and that and that and that. Oh, uh, should we like Jesus? Yeah, okay, we'll pull him in there. 
so long as he doesn't contradict these other things I think. And he's in the mix. So we're just a fan, just like a Facebook fan of Jesus. And I think that is so often the picture that we accidentally present to the world. But Jesus doesn't give that picture. He says the kingdom of God is worth more than everything else that we have. Not only the things we like, but all the things we find identity in. He's worth more than everything we believe. That means all the stuff that we get passionate about in these causes. And Jesus says, hey, guess I'm, I'm, I'm actually bigger than that. All of those things, Jesus and his kingdom is supposed to supersede. This is the picture. This is the only picture. See? Jesus and being a part of his kingdom is supposed to trump all of those things. Do you hear me? It's supposed to supersede them. And so, so we, we're not supposed to find identity in any of those other labels. Now, it's okay. It's okay to like say, oh, this is what I am. This is what I do. I'm not saying that we never use those words. Obviously, of course we do. But if at any time we feel that need that like this goes, this goes above, it, it, it just doesn't because the treasure in the field is worth more than everything else. Are you with me? This has ramifications. Maybe this just feels kind of out there. You're like, okay, you just keep saying it's more valuable than everything else. What's the point? Well, um, I, I, would, <laughs> I would say it this way. Look, uh, maybe, maybe you're here today and you're, you're thinking about following Jesus. Good for you. I'm glad you're here and you're thinking about following Jesus. And I want to tell you this. Following Jesus is not a small shift. It's a big shift. Embracing the kingdom of God it's not a small shift. It's a very big one. It means it, 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 it's a change in ultimate priority. It's a change in ultimate allegiance. It means you're giving up your American sense of ultimate freedom to self-expression. I know that's really in vogue right now, but that's not a kingdom thing. His kingdom isn't a democratic republic, and you don't get a vote we're so used to this, right? Like we have a say in, all, in right and wrong and all these. Well, that's actually not what we're agreeing to when we agree to the kingdom. You don't get a vote. His kingdom is an actual kingdom with a king who calls the shots. Now, I'm really glad we don't live in a kingdom. I'm so glad we don't. Aren't you guys glad we don't live in like a, a political kingdom? Aren't you glad that when like one of our leaders like we disagree with it, there's like checks and balances and they, they can't have ultimate authority? I'm so glad that we live in that kind of place. I really am. But the kingdom of God is an actual kingdom. That means what he says actually goes, and it's hard for us who have grown up in freedom to see all the ramifications or to embrace the ramifications of this. This isn't majority rules. Some things might be unpopular in the kingdom of God. Like, oh my goodness, what am I? Hey, well, it's not like you can like, get together and vote with your friends on, what, on whether or not to embrace those things. The kingdom is the kingdom, and the king is the king of his kingdom. Are you with me? So, the king calls the shots. Are you willing to give him control? That's my question for you. Are you willing to let him be the king? And if you're not, then I want to suggest you're not ready to follow him just yet. And that's okay. I, I hope that you keep coming. I hope that you keep seeking after this Jesus and discover more about the beauty of, his, of this Jesus and his love for you and, and how he's trustworthy, that we can trust him with our lives, with our hearts, with our very destinies. It's true. And that's what we endeavor to do here is to show you how wonderful this Jesus is and why we've chosen to follow him. 
But you need to be clear, he's not content to be one of your affections. He wants to be the affection under which all the other ones fall. Now maybe you've come here and you've given your life to Jesus a long time ago. Maybe you've been a follower of him for a long time. So what does the parable of the treasure have to say to you? Well, I want to challenge you on something. I want to challenge you on this. We have a lot of competing affections and affiliations. We have those especially in seasons like the one we're in. You see, this is election season. And the whole mood and climate of our country has been so, so angry and vitriolic and it's been so tribal. There's tribal warfare is really what we have going on right now. And you guys, it's ugly. It is as ugly as I think any of us have ever seen it. That is what's going on in our climate. What we need to understand is the kingdom of God is supposed to be over it, not subjected to it. In each of our lives, the kingdom of God is supposed to be superior to this. It doesn't come underneath political affiliation. And I see so many doing this. I'm so like, you know what? Yeah, okay, maybe this is wrong, but boom, this is what I think. So just take that. And what ends up happening is the church ends up playing into this, this, this tribal, ugly, vicious, vitriolic thing. That's not the kingdom. If you are a kingdom person, you do not have the option of engaging in this kind of behavior. You just don't. This is not one of your options. Because Jesus is supposed to have, the kingdom is supposed to have the header, right? The kingdom of God. And in the kingdom, we act like Jesus. That means we love people. We even love our enemies. You remember when Peter was like, he, people had, had rejected them, right? And so he's like, Lord, should we call down fire? <laughs> you remember that? Should we call down fire? Because we know we're on the right side. And Jesus is like, you don't even know what kingdom you're of right now. What are you doing? But I think that's a word to us. Should we call down fire? Right? Like we always just assume that we've got the right thing here. So we're going to back up and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, in the meantime, we end up looking just like the world that doesn't have any allegiance to Jesus Christ. What I'm telling you is that this treasure of the kingdom is greater than Republican, Democrat, conservative, progressive, any of those things. The kingdom is better. And as a kingdom person, what we are called to do, each one of us, is to embrace the values of Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean we're not involved politically. Please don't hear me say that. I think we should be involved politically. I think you should be voting and researching and what is a, what is a kingdom value here and re- look, looking for those things. I'm not saying disengage. What I'm saying is disengage in the ugliness of the world because it's trying to suck you in. And you can see how bad it's gotten. And as kingdom people, we should be adamantly refusing to take part in that. What that means is that if someone who is on your side does something, or if, there's, if, if your political party, your affiliation, is for something that the kingdom's against, that doesn't look like Jesus, that you step back from that and you go, well, look, I'm first a kingdom person and I completely disagree with that, and so I'm not going to endorse that, I'm not going to back that up in any way. That's not right. Or the same thing with a candidate, or whatever it is, whatever happens to be happening, you say, you know what, Jesus, I'm a Jesus person first, see, I'm a Jesus person. So that means I'm going to love my enemy. I'm going to love the Samaritan. Oh boy. How would Jesus have told the story of the good Samaritan today? Don't you think he might have said, he might might have pointed across the political aisle instead of going Samaritan? Don't you think? For example, don't you think 
for someone who's very, very conservative that the Lord might have said. And then a member, an anarchist member of Antifa came and decided to help him out. Don't you think he might have said something like that? Or if it was on the other side of somebody who's very, very liberal, don't you think, yeah. And then an alt-right person came over and helped. Don't you think he might have done something like that? Because I do. I really do. I think he, he goes to the heart of the matter. He, he challenges us with his truth and says, will you respond or will you not? So I'm going to urge you. I know I'm pushing this morning, but after all the events of the last couple of months, you know, all of it, all of the ugliness, all the stuff that you've seen, yes, I know it happens, it's happened on both sides. I know, I know, I know. All of it is not honoring to God, and we as the church, we've got to be, we've got to be people who love our neighbors, all of them, and we've got to stand against this kind of spirit. That's what it means to be a kingdom person. It means our values are not of this world. Our citizenship is in a different place because we found the treasure. The king in his kingdom, that's the treasure. So whatever it is this morning, whatever it is, whatever the thing is that's competing, I want to just encourage you this. Jesus is better. Give him a try. He's better. The way of Jesus is better than the way of the world. The way of Jesus is better, I promise you. So it's okay. You can sell all you have with joy and not have to worry about it. I promise you, you're going to come out better on the end because you found the more valuable thing. Amen?